Good morning, saints. We are continuing our series on the glory of God. So this morning, by way of our title slide, I take you to Timisoara, Romania. This beautiful picture was submitted by Sanda Hudulin. Her late husband, Cornell, was a pastor and an evangelist. He planted many churches and together they served the Lord even during the times of communism in Romania. Praise the Lord for our long-standing relationship and partnership with Sanda and also for our sister church there in Romania. Now, the glory of God, as we said, is essentially the excellencies and the attributes that belong to God and to God alone. We've looked at many of them, such as his holiness and the fact that he is eternal. God alone is eternal and God alone is truly holy. Now, a part of this study that we're in is tracing not only the concept, but the word glory and the usage of the word glory as it pertains to the glory of God. This morning, we speak to an aspect of the glory of God that sums up the entire New Testament and the gospel of which you and I are beneficiaries. That is the eternal perspective. This aspects of God, this aspect of God's glory, truly, when we enter into it, when we stop long enough to truly take it in, it leaves us speechless. It fills us with such gratitude. The astounding proposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that boys and girls, men and women, are completely forgiven of all of their sins. Adopted into God's family. And gifted with eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, eternal life is both duration and quality of life that can only be found in Christ. As I said before, it is the sum and the substance of the eternal perspective that we will consider this morning. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn or to scroll to 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're turning there, uh, this is a picture from Thursday's memorial service for Latoya's husband. This is just right up the road at Redeemer Church. So first of all, thank you for your prayers for Latoya in her time of great loss. I'm showing you this picture because it is the perfect way to frame the subject for this morning. It's a beautiful illustration of today's topic, the eternal perspective. Now in this celebration of life, where believers gathered from different churches all over the county primarily, there was this perfect tension that the New Testament expresses. There were hands and voices lifted high in praise to God, worshiping together, acknowledging and declaring that God 
is sovereign. He is good. Declaring his glory. There are personal stories of thankfulness for Jay's life. For the big heart that both Jay and Latoya have had for the homeless. There were, of course, tears of anguish and sorrow. We know that there were many, many more expressions of sorrow and anguish prior to the service. And there will be, of course, after the service, particularly as they head into with us the holiday season without Jay. The New Testament tells us, Christians, that we mourn, but not as those without hope. In short, and if you're taking notes, this is your first sermon point. God has called us to his eternal glory. I would not be up here if that were not the case. I would not be devoting my life to what I do and so many of you to what you do in relation to the gospel if this truth was not true. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, we read this. And I am in the book of James. I knew it looked a little suspicious. So I'll turn the page to the correct place, verse 10 of chapter 5, of 1 Peter. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, my first meaningful engagement with this verse was actually when I was in England, uh, when I was in college. I would visit my grandparents when I was on summer or Christmas break. On one occasion, while I was there, I went down to London to visit Charles Spurgeon's church. Charles was a tremendous preacher of the gospel in the 1800s. And so I went to the bookstore and I picked up a few cassette tapes. You know, the sermon cassette tape ministry. One of the sermons was on this verse. Now... I remember walking out of that church, so excited, I had my Walkman, and I put my cassette tape into my Walkman. And so there I am, boys and girls, a Walkman is something that has been around a long time ago, but it enables you to listen to things, and people don't know that you're listening to it. Well, they can see that you're listening to it, but... But I remember just walking down the streets of London, the hustle and the bustle, it's, you know, capital city all around you. But I, I, all I could hear was this booming English voice reading this verse. I mean, he had the, the current pastor then had a strong voice, obviously a very English accent. And he was speaking of the glory of God 
and what God has called us to. Now, a, be, a brief background on, the, on Peter. Peter remembers the apostle that we all know and love. We all appreciate him. We relate to him so well. Peter is the one who had foot and mouth disease. Peter is the one who rushed to act before he thought. And Peter is the one who failed miserably. Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit... Peter, in his letter, he, he spoke extensively about Christian suffering. History it itself tells us that Peter was crucified upside down as a martyr for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He refused to be crucified as they had wished, as his Savior was, because he was not worthy. He said, before we get going, would you just take that cross and turn it over? Peter reminded us that we should not be surprised with Christian suffering, with opposition, with persecution. But like all the other apostles, Peter clearly gives the correct perspective on our suffering. And indeed, on our life as a whole. So let's begin with a brief exposition of this verse to explain what this verse is talking about. It's obviously at the end of his first letter. He's talked a lot about suffering. God is described as the God of all grace. Everything about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is about grace. It is by grace that we have been saved. Any discussion about the gospel that does not center around grace is a false gospel. And it is he, God, who has called us, summoned us, beckoned us into his eternal glory. He is the one who made it happen. He is the one who started the process. He is the one who gave us life. Who called us to his eternal glory. Now this is what I want you to see. In calling us to himself. In calling us to a saving relationship with him. In calling us out of darkness and into his light. This is analogous with his own glory. But not just glory, his glory that is eternal and set apart. This is the hope that we have in eternal life. That we have been spared, excused from God's righteous and holy and reasonable judgment. And in its place, God has brought us to himself and he is glorious notice the new testament does not skip over the fact that you and i will suffer it does not pretend that life 
is easy. It does not give a false representation of what life as a Christian is like. He affirms, along with Paul and James and Jesus, etc., that we will suffer. But our suffering, in light of eternity, is why he says this. After we have suffered for a little while. You see, when we are actively suffering, it does not feel like a little while. It literally feels like an eternity. But what God is doing is giving us perspective to say your suffering, which is inevitable, it is but for a little while. And God is faithful to his promises. He will in his time restore us, make us strong and firm and steadfast, whether that be in this life, but his emphasis is in the age to come, in eternity. Which is why he ascribes glory to God, as do all the apostles in all of their letters in the New Testament. To him be the power forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Why are we ascribing, why is Peter ascribing power to God? It is because the power of God in the gospel that broke the power of sin over you and me. Who broke the power of death and gave us hope. And this, my friends, is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is why we are gathered here this morning. It is not a better Colin. It is not Colin 2.0. It is eternal life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The bedrock of the promise of God to us in the gospel is that he will one day fully and finally conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He will Wipe away every tear. We will be free finally and forever from all of the temptations that dog us every day of our life. We will be free from sorrow and from grief. This is the usage of the word glory that we will examine today. The promise of eternal life. The hope of heaven. It's called glory. Have you ever heard an elderly saint talk about glory? I remember as a teen hearing my granny talk about glory. She had dementia, something awful, but she would just talk about in the middle of whatever conversation we were in about how she was going to glory. We call it glory. Scripture calls it glory. Because that's where God is. It is where we will behold him fully and completely. It is where we will enjoy his presence. 
where we will worship and serve under him forever in our glorified body. Saints, this is the hope to which you have been called to in Christ. When we think of the glory of God, we need to know that God has called us to himself into his glory, which has no beginning and no end. That is the essence of eternal life, period. It is to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, it is true that the new heavens and the new earth will be spectacular because the curse will be lifted. We will perceive everything through our glorified senses. We will be with loved ones, and there there will be no sad goodbyes ever again. As I said years ago in our... The first series I did was on Revelation, which was ridiculous for a new pastor. But I did make the comment then, there will be no diet foods there either. I just want to highlight that for a moment. But we cannot lose sight that... Of the simple fact that what makes heaven, heaven, is God. It is being with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, forever. It is through the gospel that God has called us, brought us in to his glory. And he shares that with us. Now, speaking of Spurgeon in the 1800s, go back a couple hundred years before that, the pastors and the theologians of yesteryear were constantly, they constantly held this out for great encouragement and perspective for their fellow believers in the day. We know that throughout history, there have been very dark times when life was very difficult. There would be waves of persecution or opposition or pestilences that would sweep through a region. Pastors would remind their people constantly that this life is not where it is at. If you look to this life to find all of your fulfillment and happiness, my friends, you will be utterly disappointed. In this life, we do not look for prosperity per se. But according to Jesus, we die to ourselves. And we love the Lord with all of our strength and we love our neighbor. Now conversely, in all of our sorrows and in all of our disappointments of which there are many, in all of our griefs, in all of our difficulties, this eternal perspective is something that will never return void for us. My fellow believers, think long and hard. Meditate and reflect. Calibrate your thinking on this. My goal well, I should say this, the eternal perspective, it is deeper than all of your sins, all of your failures, all of the temptations that you face.
It transcends the challenges that you face in life. It dwarfs the duration of difficulties that you and I walk through. It literally puts everything into perspective. My goal this morning in speaking of this aspect of glory, God's glory, is that you and I would be deeply encouraged and greatly strengthened and supported as we walk through the highs and the lows of everyday life. You see, the eternal perspective not only supports us in our challenges, but it is also a buttress for when things are going well. When everything is going well, we have a tendency, because we are human, idolatry from last week, We have a tendency to forget God because we don't need him at the moment. The eternal perspective is a truth that should be the plumb line for each and every one of us, an anchor for our soul, the very foundation upon which we build our lives and train our thinking. Life experience will show us that life is Fragile. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. How unwise it would be for us to live as if this life was all that there was. You see, the humanist will agree with you. The atheist will agree with you. And he will tell you that life is literally a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. You're here for a little bit, as Dan said last Sunday. After a while, lights out, so go for all the gusto you can right now. The gospel, however, brings great clarity and perspective. I do not live for the here and the now, because I know as a Christian that there is something far greater that will outlast this life. My goal is not to strike it big now, but to be faithful, knowing that one day, I truly will wake up in the land of glory. You see, the gospel informs me that I stand before God as if I had never sinned. Because the one who never sinned stood before God on my behalf as a sinner. I do not think Or hope maybe that I have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life. I know that when my heart stops beating, when my brain waves, whatever I happen to have, finally shut down, I will see him face to face because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Now... Let's switch apostles and take a look at what Paul had to say regarding the eternal perspective. The book of Romans is often considered to be the Mount Everest of the New Testament theology. If that is the case, I would posit that Romans 8 is the peak, it's the summit. It has such exquisite and beautiful and soaring theology that brings such comfort and perspective for each of us. 
it would help if I would turn there too. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Listen to this declaration. Speaking about being children of God, adopted into his family. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He reminds us of the substance of the gospel in verse 17, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Every single believer is a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is spectacular. Paul lays out the simplicity of salvation by grace through faith apart from our works. As wonderful as all of this is, there is a key issue that Paul must address when it comes to the gospel. Because it is true, we believe in Jesus, and then at some point we die, and we're going to be with him. But guess what? That little, the little bit, that in between, the rest of our life, read your Bible, it is full of challenges and suffering. So what Paul has to say in this little, this little piece of this letter here is well worth our attention. Suffering is the sum total of the emotional, physical, mental challenges that we face in life, often in the context of being a Christian, that of course includes persecution for following Christ. Now, Paul addresses suffering head on. He does not duck it, hide it, diminish it, sweep it under the rug. Dear saints, he points you in the midst of of your suffering and the reality of suffering in your life, he points you directly to the beauty and the glory of the gospel, which intrinsically dwarfs your deepest and most painful suffering. So I want you to remember this. This is sermon point number two, by the way. Your suffering has a shelf life. It has a shelf life, and this is how Paul will work this out. Verse 18, he continues, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of, There's the word glory with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, isn't this something? Here's Paul, who single-handedly inflicted an enormous amount of suffering on the growing and budding Christian church. God saves him by his grace. And now Paul is happy, willingly, and even with joy to change places. And to suffer immensely for the proclamation of the gospel. 
Notice how he roots it in the word glory. God's glory is yet to be revealed in us fully, in our glorified bodies, but this swallows up every painful moment of our lives in complete victory. Now remember, there's more. Christ's death was not just in relation to individual people, but it was also in relation to creation. Verse 21 says this. Speaking about creation itself, having the curse reversed. Verse 21, and that, the, and that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What glory is that? That is the glory of God, but we are the children of God. That glory, we now enjoy that. If we don't own it, we enjoy it. So what do you see here? Creation itself is groaning under the curse and waiting for the full redemption and the glory of the children of God to be revealed. This is the glory that we have been called to, fellow saints. Ponder it, reflect upon it, and rejoice in it. I want to show you a little, a little meme here. This is one of my favorites. It captures the power and the implications of the gospel. Now, we all know that the gospel changes and transforms people's lives. People are not the same before and after the gospel comes into our lives. That transformation will look different in different people, of course. The suffering that we experience here cannot be compared to the glory that awaits us. Now, in this particular case, think about this. There are saints who have a premature entrance into glory at the hands of Paul. In due time, Paul makes his way in as well. This is hypothetical, of course. But the very ones who are martyred by Paul celebrate his entrance. Why is this true? Because the gospel works in this way. We are all deeply aware that it is by grace that we have ever made it in ourselves. So one more truth briefly in regard to the eternal perspective and being called to God's glory. And this really flows from last week's sermon on idolatry. That bad habit that we have, the propensity to, to replace God's glory with other lesser things in our life. So here's number three. Do not live for lesser things. Build your legacy. What on earth else are you living for than the glory of God? There are things we need to do. There are interests we have. But overall, what should drive us is the glory of God, the eternal perspective. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul again is talking about suffering. And he says this. So we do not lose heart. All kinds of opposition, suffering, trials. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's also called getting old. Our inner self 
is being renewed day by day. Now for me, I think of my grandparents. I mentioned them earlier today. The older they got, it seemed the more joyful they were. I mean, they were just four foot ten, both of them. And they were just so happy to know the Lord. And the anticipation, as they got older, of entering into glory, it, it was just all over their countenance. Verse, uh, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. The same thing he told the Romans. But now watch this. Saints, the suffering that you encounter is the necessary preparation for your entrance into glory. Hebrews 12. That was Jesus' path. Let us follow him. It was Christ who despised the shame of the cross. Let us follow him. I've said this before. The word for glory in Hebrew is actually weight, as in a heavy weight. It's just a weighty matter. It's a weighty subject. And so Paul, no doubt here, is using a play of words. Yes, he's writing in Greek, but he's, of course, knowledgeable of Hebrew. He says, the weight of the weight is beyond all comprehension. There's nothing to compare the weight of glory to. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, fellow sojourners, you have died to this world. Your life is in Christ. You are citizens of heaven. This is not your final destination. Every time, I've said this before, every time I travel to whatever part of the world, I always have my U.S. passport on hand. It is a formal declaration and a reminder that I am only passing through the country that I am in. My citizenship as a Christian is in heaven. Let's land the plane. The Holy Spirit, similarly, the Holy Spirit living and alive in you through the gospel is proof positive that God will complete the work that he began in you. He will not let you go. He will bring you safely to the heavenly shores. That is your true north. It is your final destination. It is all of grace. God has called you to it. He will not fail. Now, let us live as children of light. Full of joy and with hearts full of the most profound gratitude for the grace of God in our lives. Amen? Amen. God is good. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise 
for who you are. We give you thanks for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we face so many difficulties and challenges and sadness and heartaches in life. Lift up our head. Help us and support us. Prompt us to support one another. And always point one another to this eternal perspective. That even in our deepest and darkest trial, that we would see you. That your spirit would confirm and help us. That we would be faithful to remind one another of that. And Lord, protect us from living for lesser things. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That Christ indeed died for sinners. He was buried and he rose again. There is no amount of good works or religious deeds that we could ever do to erase our sin. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life, turning in repentance to you, putting our faith completely, our confidence fully in what Christ has done for us at the cross, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that if there is but one person here this morning who has not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray for the many others of us who know you, but get sidetracked and discouraged, isolated perhaps, away from fellowship. Encourage us. Give us boldness this week in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, whoever else we rub shoulders with. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.